And being Europe, there's always been underdogs against Americans. And, you know, I've been an underdog all my life against big tall guys, you know. So the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Well, hello. Welcome to the latest episode of the Bunker Podcast in association with Callaway. Welcome along for another hour or so of golf chat. Michael McEwen here, back in the offices in Glasgow, and I'm back, joined for the first time in, it feels like an eternity, to be totally honest, by Bunkered Editor Bryce Ritchie. Hello, welcome back. Hello, is it is is it too long? I was going to say, is an eternity too long? But clearly it is. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> You've been on holiday for the past two weeks. I have, I, thanks. I, I missed you for a bit. Thanks. And then I got over it, and then, you know. I was a bit of sincerity there and then crushed me. <laughs> so good time off, good break, refreshed, ready for the back yeah, end of the season? I do. Some people might know I like my American holidays, mm-hmm. but I couldn't afford an American holiday. This year's Who can? Too, who can? Way too expensive. So I, for the first time ever, I holidayed in England. Very nice. That was good. Went to Suffolk. Did you need a passport to get in there? Or no, they, much? you can right, just okay. drive straight straight down. No, yeah. no, no stopping. Okay. Uh, it was Do you have good. your jags and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah, went? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is the banter still as bad as this? Really bad. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, no, it was good. What can I say? English stuff. Nice pub grub, beaches, bit of sea, fish and chips. But they don't do a fish supper. No fish. Sorry. What? That was my. F- I had. It was the first time I've ever ordered fish and chips. Please. No way. Because they don't understand what a fish supper is. Well, this place didn't. So. So what they were just going to give you a fish, a fish? and chips. Fish and chips. That is completely yeah, bizarre. So I, was, I, was, I was going to use a single fish, mate, and I didn't understand. Ah, yes. So, yeah. So that was that. Very good. Very good. So you are back. People who tune in regularly will notice that Alex Perry is not with us because Alex has now gone on holiday. So the old chips in the night thing, he's clearly decided, I'm not going to take the same amount of time off as the boss. I'll yeah. just go exactly when he's back. Yeah, so, and, I, and I like that. That's yes. Fine. That's fine. Yes. Did you follow any golf when you were on your holiday? You know what? I took my laptop and I opened it on the Tuesday and I never opened it again. Really? I haven't really, I haven't really followed a lot of... of yeah, my world is Twitter. That's where I keep an eye on X. things. Thank but, you. Uh, sorry, X. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, don't think we're allowed to call it Twitter anymore. Are you not? So when they say like you retweet something, they've now changed the wording of that. You might have noticed to reposting. They've taken Twitter away. Completely. You know what? I did. I did not even notice that. There you go. Good knowledge. Yeah, Elon. What a guy. Yeah, it's a bit silly. Who wants a a back update? Oh, here Do you want we a back go. update. Where's I'll the give, jingle? We, we need a jingle for this. Back I'll give you a back update. <laughs> right, it's coming. Right, I've asked for a, an appointment to get my back scanned for about three years. And eventually I got so fed up, I went back to the doctor and I just demanded one, put his, put my hand around his throat, put him up against the wall and said, sort it, mate. <laughs> so he did. And I got an appointment for Monday. This Monday coming? That, or that Monday, Monday there? Monday there. I did not know this. Yeah, neither did I because I forgot to go. You are joking me. No, I'm not joking. I was at the gym last night and I realised, I thought, oh no, I'm meant to be at the gym tonight. I'm meant to be at the at the, the hospital tonight. And my appointment was at 20 to 6. And I got home and I looked at the sheet and it was actually Monday. It wasn't even Tuesday. Oh my God. So that, I've been moaning about my back for years, and that, to be honest, you've got a wife, I've got a wife. When things 
go wrong, they get angry. Mm-hmm. And I've been moaning to my wife about my back for years. So that was a bit of a, was a bit testy in the Richie household last night. Oh, really? was not a good situation. That's that's incredible. When I think about NHS waiting list times and you know how long yeah. people wait for these sort of opportunities. And here to then just go, Ugh. here's people at me. Yeah. You know what? I can't be bothered. So what do you do now? Do you have to go back to the doctor who you've threatened to, no, to get another uh, appointment? No, take my hand off his throat and go, look, <laughs> that's a slight misunderstanding. No, look, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been going to the gym, so um, my back's really good. So I still haven't played 18 holes yet. Right, so here's what we're going to so do. This is a slight problem. So I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to the range. Well, I'm going away on, well, not on holiday, but I'm going away with some friends to Budapest tomorrow morning. Lads, lads, lads. Some, Budapest. Something like that. But uh, we're going to be there for four days, back Sunday. So see next week. I haven't played golf in about two months. You haven't played in about two, three months. Let's go and play golf after work one night and we'll report our findings. Right, I okay. need to rediscover my golf mojo. I'd hoped it would have come back by now. It hasn't. I'm still in that blue... Early Mid. early dating phase where no one's swiping right. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. I've, I've <laughs> lost it completely. And clearly you need to experiment with yeah. your back, to test your back. Yeah, I need, so to go to the, I need to go to the range. That's what I need. That's what I need. All right, so you're not going to come and play golf with me? No, I will. Right, I okay. will. All right, you're a bit, <laughs> bit tense this morning. <laughs> well, you know what? You've missed a lot in the time you've been off. Like, genuinely, you've missed quite a lot. I know. Every week we say, oh, there's lots to get into this week, isn't there? And we're actually looking at a blank piece of paper. Like, what are we going to talk about? Yeah. This week and over the past few weeks, there, quite a bit has happened. Phil Mickelson. Let's start there, Bryce. Now, I don't know how much of this you've seen, but Billy Walters, I'm assuming isn't a name that's new to you. You'll have heard Billy Walters. Billy Walters before. sounds like a really good 80s pop star. Yeah. Doesn't he? Yeah, exactly. In, in, a of, blue, um, in a blue, in a suit, a one hundred percent sleeves rolled up. Yeah, kind of yes. like an American Rick Astley. I have white shoes. One hundred percent. Yeah, definitely greatest hits. <laughs> definitely uses a flanger for the bridge and all that stuff. But he's uh, Billy Walters. For those who don't know, is a very high profile, pretty much professional American sports better. Has made millions and millions and millions of dollars betting on sport. He's also spent some time in jail because, as it turns out, he's somewhat what? of a dodgy character. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He spent, when was it? Like between 2017 and 2020, I think it was, spent time in Declink. And <laughs> <laughs> Mickelson has a, a bit of a, a link to him. Yeah, sorry, just on Walter's in, uh, insider trading in 2017. He spent some time in the slammer. And during that time, he has decided to write a memoir. The memoir is coming out soon. The Fire Pit Collective, Alan Shiprick and Co. managed to get their hands on it last week and took some pretty juicy excerpts from it, specifically around Phil Mickelson. Walters claims that Mickelson gambled over $100 million between 2010 and 2014 and a total of $1 billion across three decades of betting. He also alleges that Phil made 3,154 bets in 2011 alone, which is almost nine bets per day. Now, before we go any further, I think it's very important to acknowledge 
that Phil has addressed his gambling addiction in the past. He has sought therapy for it and we're not being glib about gambling addictions at all. Addictions are addictions. Neurological disorders, they're terrible, whether it's a gambling addiction or an alcohol addiction or whatever addiction it is you've got. So we are absolutely not poking fun and hopefully no one misinterprets what we're about to talk about as that. Phil has obviously denied one of the more juicy claims, Bryce, that Billy Walters made, which is that he attempted to wager $400,000 on the outcome of the 2012 Ryder Cup at Medina. Walters claims that Phil contacted him from Medina ahead of the match and was so confident the US were going to win that he wanted Billy to put this $400,000 bet on the US to win on his behalf. Is that why he wanted to sit out the afternoon pairings? <laughs> so he could just sit and watch it on the telly and watch and, his money roll in. And potentially be fresher for his Sunday singles. You don't know. I mean, the, Walter says that he told Phil, I'm not doing that. There's a precedent, I think, in baseball, is it, for a guy betting on his own sport and ended up being tossed out the Hall of Fame and tossed out the sport and effectively sin died. But it's unclear whether or not Phil actually got somebody else to place the bet for him. In response to the claims, Phil said that he has never gambled on the Ryder Cup and wouldn't do that to the integrity of the game. Blah, blah, blah. So... I don't know if this is new information to you, if this is the first time you're hearing all this, no, but I, I, your reaction to these claims made by Mr. Walters? Yeah, I, I, I've, I've read fleeting accounts of it, and to be honest, I don't really think you need to go that deep into it to realise it's a, it's a huge story. It's massive. Gambling and sport by the people involved, I think it's a fascinating, actually a fascinating story. And I, I need to watch what I'm saying, but this would be about 10, 12 years ago, Let's just say I know someone that's friends with someone who was playing for a second division football team. In, in Scotland. In Scotland. And nine members of that team, not not all in the starting eleven, but nine of the, the squad were betting on themselves in every odd in every odd game. Now we're not talking huge we're not talking what was it? Phil Mickelson's like hundred million pounds. And the funny thing is that they were they were gambling on themselves and they were trying to keep it quiet, but they were all in to basically making about £25,000 each, which for your second division footballer, that's pretty good money. It's huge, yeah. I'm led to believe that in the last minute they conceded a goal, a ridiculous like 93rd injury time goal, and they all won money. So they were betting against, they were betting against themselves. They betting against themselves. And they conceded a 93rd minute goal and they all went into the changing The story is they went into the changing rooms and... A couple of them had their heads down and they'd lost the goal. The manager's going nuts and some of them were sniggering, realising that they'd won a lot of money. Now, we've said this, that this all links into the difference between sports people and sports fans. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, made a good, you made a good point. Way that the people who, keen listeners will listen to this and think, I remember that point. But 14 months ago, you said it. You are talking about live. And players jumping ship and live and leaving their legacies behind. And the fact is that some of them are just not invested in the sport that much. It's actually just, it's, it's a bit of fun. If they win or lose, they're not hugely bothered. And I think gambling is a sign of that because your focus is elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Your focus is on making money and doing something for fun. Whereas if you're fully invested in what you're doing, you don't have time for that. And I think 
the whole thing about Phil is that it's an amazing example of behind the scenes what he's doing with his life. We talked about with another certain major champion who was doing things behind the scene for years and we all thought, at the time, we all thought, how the hell is he getting away mm-hmm. with that? Now it's the same with Mickelson. That's a lot of money. <laughs> how do you how do you blow that amount of money? How do you how do you hide that? And then when you win, what do you do with the money? How do you, someone somewhere must know there's money coming in and out all the time, and it's not to do with it's not coming from the same places. So it's a huge it's a huge moral dilemma for everyone involved because when I think when you're watching a football team, you're watching a golfer. There's something that you can't control and how do you monitor that and you made a good point about addiction addiction in gambling it's I've got a wee boy one of my biggest fears is gambling sites really? when, he's, when he's older it's a complete drug you can't mm. control that one of my friends gambles all the time and I always think should you really be doing that mm-hmm. oh, I don't mind I gamble but I don't have a gambling addiction but then it becomes it can become an issue I've got a family friend who lost her husband because she couldn't be married to him anymore because he just gambled their mortgage away. Jesus. Gambled their life savings away. She had to leave him. And I know a lot of people were taking the mickey out of Phil and were disgusted by it and I'm not going to sit there and, and join in that, that, no. that scene because gambling addiction is a serious problem mm-hmm. and I wouldn't for a minute suggest that Phil Mickelson's just having a bit of a blast but $100 million is a lot of money. Yeah, a billion dollars over over the course of his three decades or so that Walter says he was gambling. Of course, we're saying all this. One person who has poked a bit of fun at Phil was Rory McIlroy. He was asked, I, I must admit, I found it a little bit strange that guys playing in the FedEx and Jude last week were asked about this issue with Phil. I mean, on one hand, I get it. On the other hand, I think that is a bit strange, but fine. Either way, you know, Jordan Spieth kind of started to provide an answer and then stopped himself in his tracks and kind of sniggered and off he walked without saying anything. But Rory was asked about Phil's gambling and in particular the the bet around the 2012 Ryder Cup and replied saying, well, he can gamble on it this year with no worries because it's not like he's going to be playing in it and sniggered and off he trotted. I'm going to be honest in that. I think it's important I say this because everyone knows how big a Rory fan I am. I thought that was just so disappointing, so crass, so unnecessary. I know there's bad blood between the pair of them. I know they've both said things about each other that aren't great. But as we're saying, this is an addiction. Would Rory have said what he said about Phil had it been a different addiction, an alcohol addiction, you know, or a drug addiction? I just thought that was so poor from somebody who, more often than not, doesn't make those mistakes. Just take the higher ground. I don't understand why Rory can't see that. I, I was... I would like you. I was a bit disappointed that Rory said that, and he's. We all know Rory's getting grief from a lot of sides and mm-hmm. of golf in the states, and you just think you've got to be a little bit more savvy than that. But I think as soon as it's Phil, he cannot resist. Why is that? Because they just don't go on with each other. I think I think Phil's probably a bit jealous that Rory's a huge deal. Rory's got a big, and Rory's European. You know, he's over there in the States and he's one of the big stars, if not the biggest. So I wonder if... Coming over are, here, yeah, taking our trophies, stealing our, our dollars. Stealing our headlines. Yeah. I just wonder if he's a bit pissed off at that. So they, they, quite clear, they don't go on with each other. But I still think Rory, for me, he needs to just... 
It's not for me to tell Rory what to do, but sod it, we're on a podcast, and that's what <laughs> people do in podcasts. Just take the higher ground. Bingo. You don't need to say anything. Look what Jordan Spieth did. As soon as Jordan Spieth realised he was getting himself into a shitstorm, he said, actually, I'll just, uh, I think I'll leave this one. Thanks, guys. Yeah. And then it's not a problem. Yeah, exactly. In terms of the broader issue at play here, potentially, we have to take Phil's word for it, don't we, that he didn't, hasn't bet on the Ryder Cup at any point. But... It does expose maybe a little bit of a vulnerability in golf to betting and we've seen match fixing in other sports. There's a couple of points I want to pick up on here. One, Phil was betting on himself to win, which is a very hard thing to control. It's much harder to, sorry, it's much easier rather to influence the outcome of the match by throwing a match, by losing deliberately. But this is definitely who's betting on himself to win. Does that make it any better, this idea that you wanted to place well, the bet? The, 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 the... I don't know whether it's it's a good thing and a bad thing. That's not the discussion. The discussion is, should they be allowed to place bets Which is the on the outcome context, of a yeah. sport that they're involved in? And I think regardless of whether it's win or lose or draw, it should not be allowed. And it, it, it's not allowed. I yeah, well, I that's, think that's so. against it's, the rules. It's against the rules. It's against the rules in every sport. The bigger issue is, how do you control it? And that's the thing is that, it's rife throughout sport, and that's what I'm talking about there. You've got Phil Mickelson, who has allegedly been gambling on the sport that he plays to a colossal amount of money. And, you know, you're probably able to go through tournaments that he's bet on, that he's been involved in, and the outcome would maybe think that's a bit shaky. And then you've got this lower division football team in Scotland who no one is really monitoring. And they're winning colossal amounts of money for mm -hmm. them. In comparison to Phil, it's not colossal. Small beer. Money. It's just, it's train fares. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the difference. But the issue is still exactly the same regardless of the money. And you said, you know, the problem is in this problem in golf now. It's not a problem in golf now. It's a problem in sport worldwide mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah, not gambling golf, is, that's fair. Yeah, gambling is huge. How do you monitor that? How do you monitor it then? You can't. You, you cannot. You can just give the money to a friend. But then... How does that friend suddenly have four hundred thousand pounds to gamble on a? That's where the. I, I always wonder how do they catch these people? I think when you've got that amount of money, that's the gambling addiction becomes the excitement in their life. Remember that picture of John Terry about 12, 14 years ago. There was a picture of John Terry standing outside a bookies in London, and he had fifty grand in cash. This is the former Chelsea captain. Yeah, yeah. fifty grand in cash. Fifty grand in cash. And he was bored. He's literally bored. He's so trying to else. find a thrill. Yeah, he's trying to find a thrill. He's trying to find something else that's exciting. And that, and because you've got that amount of money to throw away, that's the thrill. So he's not... The, the important thing with Phil is that, and we're now asking why he's doing it, is because he doesn't need the money. So he's not gambling for the money. It's for something else. And that's the big problem with gambling. Yeah. It's not about the money. No, it's about something true. else. Well said. I mean, this is perhaps too much of a thread to pull at, but you could argue that would Phil have been as inclined to go and join Live if he didn't desperately need an awful lot of money up front? We're told that he was paid 200, 220 million. I mean, we don't know what he needed. We don't know his financial position. But if these numbers are that Billy Walters is putting out, yeah, then... That's, that's, that's a, you'd be a legend situation there be careful what we say but there's there's been rumors that you know he, he took that money because there was debts to pay or something we mm. don't know that. that that might not be true 
I would suspect Phil Mickelson is not struggling to make money. Phil Mickelson is one of the richest, not just golfers, one of the richest sports people in the world. But if you're throwing away money like that, allegedly, then when live come knocking, where do I sign? <laughs> yes, please. Lanny Watkins, former Ryder Cup captain, was actually Phil's first ever Ryder Cup captain in 1995. He went on the Golf Channel earlier this week and really stuck the knife in to Phil. Wasn't glib and crass like Rory's comments were, but it was a bit like a headmaster's dressing down. Yeah. He said, I don't know that there's ever been a more disappointing figure in golf than Phil Mickelson. I've seen what's transpired with him over the last 10 plus years. I mean, he was a beloved figure for a long time. We all marveled at the way he could play. But just now, nothing looks kosher about what he's doing these days. That's totally true. I, I, I said this a few weeks ago. That's uh, Phil has changed. It's not the Phil that we know from 20 years ago. You watch... Remember when you were watching Phil and he was struggling to close out majors? Some mm. amazing golf. Like Some of the golf he was playing was fantastic. And um, he couldn't close out a major and he was getting, you know, forever the bridesmaid, never the bride and all that stuff. And mm. he's a completely different person. He's not, he's, that's not Phil Mickelson. You think the, this is Phil Mickelson, know. the person that we bought into was I don't, I don't, staged? At. I don't know, but I think there's some of it staged. But th- there's, there is a definite shift in personality and it's looked like the... The confidence that he's grown in his own personality is, mm. is huge. He's sky high. He seems to enjoy thinking that he's a big deal, but he is there's a big deal. There's a bit of arrogance there that yeah, makes him harder lot, to warm to. Yeah, there's a lot of that as well. And that's it. He is hard to warm to, but it's noticeable that there's a lot of people in the States in the golf scene that are not huge fans of Phil mm-hmm. Mickelson. And I, I remember it just they being They were very bit, quiet 10, 15 years ago, yeah, those people. Uh-huh. Now, all of a sudden, yeah, there was it's genuine, open season. But it's... It, it's People change when they get older, particularly golfers. <laughs> Let's be honest. Nick Faldo changed massively For as a, a person. And I've said this before, Seve changed, but we think we know why Seve changed. Well, yes. Yep. You know, and that, that was heartbreaking. But Tiger changed. Tiger then became friends with Phil and played charity matches with him. Mm-hmm. And when, when Tiger didn't want to have anything to do with Phil Mickelson, now they're partnering together and things. That, you know what? Like, that's life. I think when you get older, you get a bit more mature or you get a bit weird. And I do think he's got a bit, he's a bit strange, mm-hmm. Nicholson. You know, he's... I've always found him quite a calculating person. Like Everything that he does seems to be very well thought out. There's always a reason behind it. For example, the hitting the moving ball at Shinnecock and the putting that, green. That, that was a disgrace. And then seven days later, releases that video for the clothing company, is it Mizzen and Main, where he's dancing, he's high kicking. And very quickly, the noise about the putting thing yeah. went away because it's like, oh, look how funny Phil is. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not accidental. That's no. that's premeditated. He's a smart, smart man. Yeah. But sometimes I and think he, he plays up to the idea and that the, I'm the smartest guy in the room. Yeah, and these are all the rumours, you know, it came to when he was, when he was do, uh, allegedly, when he was having his practice rounds at Whisper Rock, mm-hmm. playing with certain people, he wasn't paying his gambling debts, and some of these debts were pretty huge, and he was walking off pretending that the debts weren't important and so on, and, and that pissed a few people off. Yep. Those rumours have been going about on the PGA Tour for a long time. Just to stress, those are rumours. Yep. They might not be true, but they've been going about for a long time. And as obviously as Lanny Watkins is one of those guys who's probably thought, I'm going to stick the needle in when I can. So 20 years from now, 30 years from now, yeah, how you, will we refer to Phil yeah. Mickelson? You actually asked me this a while ago, 
and it was I, unfair then too. I know, and I, and I and I think I think we will remember Mickelson for his play, for his major titles, because that's what we remember of golfers. But I do think he he's become a bit of a he's become a bit of a caricature. Put it this way: with Woods, there's always one thing that there, there's two things with Tiger Woods that you think about, and they will always be there: major championships and his addiction. Mm-hmm. I'm pausing there because I thought you were going to come out with a wee joke there. No. No, addictions I, are addictions. That's, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. And that's the only thing you think about, really. Yep. Mickelson is his major championships, and then it's just a mess. And I think that's a, that's a difficult one. So it's not a clean understanding of what his personality is because it's it, where do you begin? So many things that he's he's done. So many things that he said. Some of it funny. Some of it disgraceful. Some of it distasteful. Some and of it, it weird. Yeah, just plain what the. You know, and I do think that will be part of his legacy. But he is a golfer first and foremost, mm-hmm. and he's one of the best that's ever done it. And if he'd ever won the US Open, he would go down with the absolute greats. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to go down yet. Amazing to think that it's less than thirty months since he won the US PGA Listen, in that fashion. There you go. That that to me, that's one of the greatest wins in golf of all time. Mm-hmm. Think about who he beat. Think about the field. Think about the type of golf course that he was playing. Mm-hmm. Everything about that, the stage, that that's, that's still mind-blowing that that happened. You can still watch that and think, that's unbelievable. We rarely ever talk about that because there's other things to talk about. And yes. that's that's the sad nature of Phil Mickelson right now. The sad nature of Phil Mickelson, my goodness. I, I can imagine quite a few stories over the next 10, 20 years headlined with that. I think that summed it up perfectly. Let's... Shift gears, DP World Tour, Bryce. PGA Tour announced its schedule for 2024 last week. The DP World Tour has come out with its this week. Includes two new tournaments and a new three-phase structure. So there's going to be a minimum of 44 tournaments across 24 countries in a 13-month season that bosses are saying underlines its status as golf's global tour. I wonder who they could possibly be taking a dig at with that line. They will be competing for a total prize fund of $148.5 million, excluding the majors. And those three phases, the Global Swing, the Back Nine, and the DP World Tour playoffs. It's essentially the same calendar, but they've just put some angle brackets around January to April, (laughs) May to July. We're like, we work in magazines. We love subheadings and little little panels. That's what that is. That's a subheading. You know, Pelly's like, we need a subheading. That's subheading. That's exactly what it is. So, yeah, five Rolex series events. You're going to have the Hero Dubai Desert Classic, Genesis Scottish Open, Wentworth, Abu Dhabi, and the DP World Tour Championship. The biggest change, I think, on the schedule is that the Abu Dhabi Championship's moving from January to the penultimate event before the DP World Tour Championship in November. Obviously, the tour's hoping this is going to create that Middle East swing. That's not one of the swings, or is it? Honestly, I can't keep track with these global swings. I'm not not sure it is. But interesting to take that event out of January when it had such... Momentum. I was like, it felt I was like, like that. That to me was. I enjoyed sitting down watching that. I think that's a good event. The problem is, I think they're trying to bolster that end of season because yeah. you know the guys weren't turning up. You know, and that's that's a poor sign. John Ram, I don't think played in that no. uh, last year. I think that, that's they're obviously trying to fix that. 
But the problem is that well, back to back weeks in the UAE yeah. is better than going from South Africa with the Ned Bank all the way up yeah. to. So Dubai. I think I think they're trying to keep them happy. I'm sure they will have had to be amazed in the current climate if they haven't had discussion with their top players in outlining this. But yeah, I'm, I'm the one big strike to me is Abu Dhabi moving. I don't. I'm not a big fan of that. I do like that January timing. So in its place, they've put in a new Dubai event. So Dubai Desert Classic will still be there, but you also now have the Dubai Invitational from January 11th to 14th. Interestingly, a new event in Bahrain, the Bahrain Championship, February 1st to 4th. That's going to be part of the international swing from January until March. Really interesting, the China Open, which hasn't been part of the calendar since pre-COVID, is returning in May. I'm going to just let this one hang on the end of the fishing rod a little bit, but doesn't China have quite a poor human oh, rights record? I'm sure Bahrain is a lovely place yeah, right? yeah. for women and whatever. Progressive, these places. Nonetheless, your thoughts on the, the schedule as a whole? Because we've we've bashed the European tour a little bit over the past couple of years. We've questioned its future. To my mind, this schedule is quite encouraging. Not just that, the yeah. amount of money that they've been able to put up. Nearly $150 million is... Were, were we wrong to predict the, the demise of the DP World Tour? No, but I, I, they're not. the DP World Tour was never going to die within six months of, or within four or five months of uh, an agreement that was helping them with Liv and PG2 that were all the tri... What do we call that, that agreement? Trifecta. The trifecta. Tour trifecta. Oh, I love it. The tour trifecta. Can we TM. Keep, can, TM. Tour trifecta. So that's all yeah, you have to do, by the way, to trademark something is just, just ATM. Just ATM. That's yeah. it. Yeah, I, I don't think that. I, I think the money's good, but when you compare it to live, it's pocket change. Live is four hundred and five million. That's what hundred and what did you say it was? Say, say that again. Four hundred and five. Four hundred and five million. million. Live's season is. So it's a lot of money, but I think live would like a lot of what the DP World's got. So, uh, you know, apples and oranges, Michael. <laughs> a couple other. Little nuggets there that stand out. So the Danish Golf Championship, which I believe was the Maiden Himmerland previously, that's moving into a later date in August. British Masters continuing at the Belfry. The Scottish Open. It's got a different date though, doesn't it? It's moved into yeah. later in the year as well. August twenty ninth, September yeah. the first. Your date. Also, I think you know. Let's let's not beat around the bush. A lot of you listening will have interest in the Scottish Open. That's going to continue at the Renaissance next year. The Alfred Dunhill Lynx Championship, that's back in the calendar. So a, a lot of the, the the staples of the tour remain there. One thing that I think was kind of a, a lead that was buried is the fact that once again, the top 10 players at the end of the 2024 race to Dubai who haven't already qualified or don't already own a PGA Tour card will get a PGA Tour card. There was some national teeth. I know there was national teeth with high-profile people on and around the DP World Tour about giving away that many spots, losing those many players. But it's happening again. 10 will go this year. 10 will go next year. That surely is a bad thing, that talent drain. It's a bad thing, but they're getting to a point where they expect it. And if they can still bring in the majority of their guys who are top-tier players for their big events, then they'll accept it. Mm -hmm. Because the lure of the Ryder Cup keeps them playing a certain amount of events mm -hmm. 
I don't think there's enough player power to reduce that number of events that they have to play to qualify for the... You know, Ernie Els was very... I need nothing to do with the Ryder Cup, mm-hmm. but Ernie Els was... I remember Ernie and, and, and the certain thing, I think Ratif Goosen mentioned it as well, wanting to reduce those numbers because, you know, I have to play... At that time, I think it was 14 events. Yeah. So I... I, I, I yeah, it looks bad when, you know, you have a few players that bugger off to America, but there's no guarantee that they'll they'll get their PG Tour cards and walk into playing, you know, 28 events a season. Mm-hmm. It's not, I don't think it's going to be that straightforward. It's a good point. There are levels of PGA Tour yes. cards. And there's levels of events that they'll get into. So they're not walking into these new elevated events and suddenly finishing in the top 10. Signature events, yeah, sorry. Signature, yeah, sorry. You, you maybe missed that when you were away. It's now signature events. Right, so are we subheading in there? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, it's not as clear cut as that. You know, professional golf tours and how they manufacture all these different levels and tiers and so on is very complicated. Mm-hmm. I think the way at the moment, I think it'll work out reasonably well for the tour unless player power has such a massive impact in the future in relation to the Ryder Cup and how they get access to it. But I do not see that happening in the next four or five years. Mm -hmm. So I think the tour is fine, but we'll still have events that are not great. Yeah, I suppose there's another way of looking at that as well, which is if the top 10 do disappear, it's creating opportunities for other guys to come through that they might not otherwise have had. I mean, that, that's always been the beauty of it, hasn't it? There's this, promotion and relegation. You know, th- this was the thing about uh, the, the Genesis Scottish Open is that, you know, you, know, you could say it's a part, you know, a part-time PGA Tour event. It's, you know, 50-50. That's great. There are a lot of European Tour players or DP World Tour players that thought, wait a minute, I used to play in that. Mm-hmm. I can't get in that now. How am I going to make my money? So now they use the other events in order to try and qualify yeah. for that event. So Barbasol and so on. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. But I think we're seeing positive signs. Let's let's leave it at that. We're seeing positive signs for the DP World Tour. They have, I think, I stand to be corrected, but I think they are arguably one of the biggest beneficiaries of this tour trifecta yeah. because they were put in the front of this fork in the road a couple of years ago choose the Saudi money or choose the PGA Tour support and they went with the latter but now it looks it, like they're getting I, both and amazing I think it's outcome. Imp- important to say that we've both criticised Keith Pelly, both sat there and, and made comments that you know that's a bit of a mess or how the hell has he allowed that to happen and and I've also said repeatedly that these guys are paid big bucks to go and deliver a, a, a product that they are meant to deliver for their players not necessarily golf fans but for their players mm-hmm. and that that schedule looks like Keith Bailey's done that. Yeah, delivered. That's why they get paid big money. So he's ma- nav- managed to navigate the the murky waters of uh, the live fallout and delivered a, a, what looks like a pretty healthy schedule for, mm-hmm. for next year. I would pat him on the back if he was sitting here. Let's go to the Women's Open, the AIG Women's Open at Walton Heath last weekend. I know you didn't get to see a huge amount of it because you were driving back up the road, etc. You would have seen, obviously, the outcome of it, Lilia View winning her second major of this season. How appropriate is it the person that won the first major of the season wins the last major, men's and women's combined? That's, that's quite a nice way to bookend your year. Her third win on the LPGA all of which have come this year. I think she's the first American to win three times on the LPGA in one season since 2000, 2001. I that, that stat alone is staggering. 
isn't it? And I think that's a, a really good indication of the 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 pool of talent on the LPGA. One hundred percent. The LPGA needs American names. It needs American stars. It needs American uh, headlines because it's a tour based in America. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I know it's a bit more global now, but that is what they need in, in order to sustain people talking about it. That's what it needs. So I, I think that was a good thing. And you know, I, I would have liked to have seen a certain somebody else win it for personal reasons. But, you know, that that's that impressive. You mean Charlie? Charlie yeah. Hill? Yeah. Why would you have been so much on the Charlie Because Hill I think she's been, a, she's been a reasonably big name in British golf for, what, five, eight years, maybe more, mm-hmm. on, on the pro scene. And I think that in order to grow women's golf in this country you need a star name mm-hmm. she has that kind of star name she's she's a good looking girl she's a cracking player to put your marketing hat on she's got everything you would want from a, a top class player just minus the big name tournament yeah. and that's 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 the pity but uh, I, I think she acquitted herself pretty well i think she's definitely this year played at an, a different level in previous years big time I think she looks like she's more comfortable at that top stage. Not that I'm saying for a second that she was never comfortable playing in, in major championships at all. Not not at all. But this year she looked like she really fit in. Yeah. And I think that would have been good if she'd managed to to pull it off. But the other thing is like, you know, you're, you're coming up to Sports Personality of the Year time. Imagine if she'd won that. You know, for, for female sport, you know, there's a big talking big discussion at the moment about female sport if she'd won that for British female sport that's a huge huge thing mm-hmm. as Georgia Hall's win was you yeah. know maybe so, not in the context of BBC Sports Personality of the Year Georgia Hall won it a few years ago and got what was it 38 seconds yeah. on, but on that, that show but that, but that's I know it, the point you're making though it's 38 seconds is better than nothing yep. but I do I, I did notice that it wasn't really covered you know mainstream news didn't really pay much attention to the, the women's open and that's a harsh reality mm-hmm. of the sport but it needs big personalities mm-hmm. in order to drive it. And that's why I think Charlie winning it would have been a big draw for golf in this country. She would have been great. Another, another mark on I thought the golf course looked sensational. It did, didn't it? Sensational. Looked awesome. It looked awesome. I think on the point of Charlie, she just stalled on the final day. She didn't play especially badly. I mean, the, the scorecard says she was one over. I didn't think she played particularly poorly. It got into a few tight spots off the tee. But, you know, gave everyone that big moment to cheer when she holed out from the bunker on 11 for Eagle. It was just Lily of you just played better. You know, she carded a, a final round five under, finished 14 under for the tournament, six shots clear of Charlie. Wasn't really a huge amount in them. One of them just went deep in the final day and the other one couldn't get going. That, that yeah. was the difference. Yeah. What I thought was really interesting were comments that Lily of you made after her, her round in her an, an interview on the green with Sarah Stark and when you consider what I've just said about her season winning three times first American and blah 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 she has struggled she says over the course of the summer and had started to this is my term but she had imposter syndrome a little bit she thought her wins earlier in the year at the Chevron and in Thailand had been a fluke she said I had a pretty tough run the past couple of months I didn't feel like myself so I came into this tournament sat down with my team just wanted to be in contention and somehow this happened. I thought that was quite an interesting thing to hear from someone who's just won another major, but particularly right after winning another major. Usually you get the, yeah, you know, I've been working really hard and this is 
you know, this is a product of that and, you know, it is what it is and other boring stuff that Tiger, for example, would fill us with. <laughs> <laughs> but she's come out and she's just I'm been bored. so honest. Like, you know what? I, I kind of wondered if I was actually all that, but here yeah. I am a bit. Well, how many times have you have you actually seen or heard tour players say, it, it's actually more common than you think. And tour players talk about, you know, I just didn't think, you know, I had it all or mm. I wasn't, you know. And I think that's the great thing about golf is, you know, Form sometimes means nothing. I know we're going to get on to Ryder Cup stuff, and that will be a big topic of conversation when we get on to it. But form and, and you, you, the way you feel when you go into a tournament sometimes means bugger all. Mm-hmm. You know, your first your first nine holes can can shape your week. Mm-hmm. I do find it quite strange that she said, you know, she fluked a win. That that's quite interesting. Imagine how often fluking. do you ever hear that? How that's that's I've not heard anyone say that before. I've uh-huh. heard people say you know that their form came out of nowhere, but you know you, you look at Justin Thomas has been talking about. I mean, Justin Thomas's stats are pretty awful. Mm-hmm. His performances are pretty awful, but he says a few times lately he's been playing quite well. You know, is that, that just positive self talk? Yeah, yeah, that's a weird thing, you know. But okay, golf is hard as hell. Yeah, look at the amount of tour pros in the world and how many of them win every week. Mm-hmm. It's seriously hard. So for a, a girl like that, who's, is she not world number one as well? She's now world number one. Come out and say that, that she'd fluked a win and she didn't really see it coming. And you're world number one. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. <laughs> so someone who's making golf look far too easy at the moment is Lucas Glover. And there is a sentence I never anticipated saying. He's won the Wyndham and then he has gone on last week and won the FedEx St. Jude, the first of the PGA Tour FedEx Cup playoff events. So never mind the ins and outs of of those wins and the the whys and the hows. Let's jump to, as you said a minute ago, the more important point, which is the Ryder Cup. So out of nowhere, Lucas Glover is now 16th on the Team USA Ryder Cup standings, jumped 19 spots following his, his win at the weekend. So he's still some way off qualifying for the team automatically, only the top six get in. And you would argue that he's maybe four spots outside getting a pick, knowing what the Americans tend to do with those uh, selections. My question to you, Bryce, is very simple. Right now, if you're Zach Johnson, would you pick Lucas Glover for your Ryder Cup team? Do you want me to pretend I'm Zach Johnson, or do you like? Well, I think with Zach Johnson. If you're going to pretend to be Zach Johnson, I'll need to go and get your baseball cap and a beanie, (laughs) and you can wear the two at the same time (laughs) with a pair of shades. (laughs) Uh, I don't think he'll be picked. And if I was Zach Johnson, I wouldn't pick him. Why is that? Because, and this sounds harsh, but I think he's just hit an unbelievable hot form when the absolute best players in the world are maybe having a bit of a backseat, they've got their eye off the ball. That sounds harsh, but he's not played in a major championship this year, has he? Mm -hmm. Has not. Why has he not played in a major championship this year? His world ranking's been so poor, he's lost all his exemptions and his form clearly hasn't been good enough coming into them. But you hit it right on the head there, and I'm just going to play devil's advocate. Captains have picks so they can get guys in their team, surely, that can bring form to the table. That's not always the case. It's part of the part of the reasoning behind picks. And that's why I always think when you have too many picks, it's, it's maybe not a good thing because you've got now more people to piss off. In America, that tour is quite close. Well, it was quite close ranked and they were all pals. 
That's why traditionally US captains have usually just gone up the rankings. Mm -hmm. I think only once in the last few years, what did they, they didn't pick, was it Patrick Reed? They didn't pick Patrick, even though he was sort of one of those next guys. I could be wrong on the name there, but I think that's what happened. Yeah, you're quite right. Patrick Reed missed out in a pick for 2021. Yeah. He finished 11th in the standings. And, and they picked bear somebody. in mind, Steve Stricker had six picks last time around yeah. because of COVID. So Patrick Reed was the highest ranked player in terms of the qualifying process who didn't get picked. Equally, Webb Simpson was overlooked. And now, the two that went in place were Daniel Berger and Scotty Scheffler. Yeah. So you look at that and you think, Patrick Reed's not getting a pick. And I know they won that, so it's hard to criticise. They did all right. They did all right. However, Patrick Reed's Ryder Cup record, pretty good. And, and he was playing reasonably well because he's almost in the automatic pick spot. But they ignored him. Why did they ignore him? Because there's more to just form. There's everything else involved. And they thought maybe that guy is a bit of a, I hate to use the word toxic, even the word toxic is toxic. But he's that personality in the room that maybe just pisses. A divisive a, figure. Divisive figure. That maybe just pisses a few people off. And that, mm. it's a team It's a team event. You've got to go on with people. You've got to remember what he did at the tail end of the 2018 match yeah. as well. You know, everything that he said about that. That probably didn't earn him any friends. It probably lost him a few and certainly didn't do him any favours. I, I tend to agree with you as far as Lucas Glover goes. I don't think he'll get a pick unless he wins again. But I would be very surprised if, if he got in. And I wonder if part of that, this is going to sound so harsh, so please take this the right way, everyone, but would he suffer because Ryan Harmon and Wyndham Clark look like they're going to be automatic picks? Maybe not the biggest names. A couple of guys who won majors who've just Wyndham, catapulted them their way is in. Is Wyndham Clark not already in? So Wyndham Clark is in and Brian Harmon is fourth. He's fourth, yeah. And looks very very comfortable I, in that I, position. I, I don't think for a second that Brian Harmon's not getting a pick. He might, even he's if, not going to need it. I even if he doesn't point. need it. Yeah, so he's in. So I think Clark's you know second in the rankings. Clark and, so what, what are you meaning? They're, they're not the most high-profile names, are they, when you look at it? I know they're major champions, but yeah. I Lucas think it's probably going to suffer because there's already a couple of guys in there. You go, well, I wasn't anticipating that. Yeah, even even if, let's say, Brian Harmon, let's say he's seventh on the rankings where Xander Schofley is right now, He's the Open champion. Mm -hmm. He's played phenomenal golf. He is the Open champion. As far as we know, he's quite popular on the tour. I just think, what well, you can't not pick him. Sorry, that that would be insane. We've only seen that a couple of times in the past, but again, personalities with Mr. John Daly, slightly different. Todd Hamilton. Yeah, personality, whatever. Todd Hamilton's different. He came from absolutely out of nowhere. The 80th. I mean, it's it's not incompatible. I, I don't think he'd ever. I, I don't think he'd ever won an event on the PGA Tour. He no, might, he hadn't. I don't think he had. And then he, but I think, yeah, I don't think he'd won an event. He'd, I think he'd won four times in Asia. So I, I told Hamilton slightly different to Brian Harmon. I th personally think. Let's go back to then. So Lucas Glover, you're saying no. Yeah, no, I'm saying no. no so I don't see it. For me, I feel a little bit more heartened about the state of the American team. And again, this is going to sound like an insult to Baby, the likes of Clark, the likes of Harmon, the likes of Glover being in the conversation. But I look at that American team and yeah, it's undeniably really strong. From one to, let's go right down to 16 where Lucas Glover is. That is a talented team. But they're missing Dustin Johnson. They're missing 
Bryson DeChambeau, who's just I, shot at 58 a couple of per- weeks ago. Personally, I, I don't look at it as, as 12 guys down on that list. Look at it as pairings. Mm-hmm. I think they're pretty strong. Mm-hmm. I think they've got some good players. They've also got some fresh blood that I think is going to really enjoy itself. Max Homer, to me, Max Homer takes some shit because his major record isn't tremendous. Max Homer's probably had his best season on the PGA Tour. He's never won abroad. I think he will love going abroad with those guys. I think he'll be extremely popular. And I think he'll just be begging for anyone to play with. And I think he'll be up for it. And I think you look at their potential pairings, I think they look very strong. They look strong, but I guess I, I feel like we do too. And we'll touch on the European team next week because we've got a, a few more things to get through today. Max Homer, yeah, I hear you. I'd be a lot more worried if the Ryder Cup was taking place in California this year, though. So, Oh. Right, listen, we have, guys, <laughs> we have to wrap part one up there because in part two we have a very, very special guest. A man who knows exactly what it takes to win the Ryder Cup, both as a player and as a captain. He knows what it takes to, to beat the Americans on their home turf in the face of a an angry American crowd as well when he won the 1991 Masters. It is, of course, Mr. Ian Woosnam. He'll be on the Bunker podcast in association with Callaway right after this. All golfers can agree, hitting it far feels great. But does it feel great? A first in forging has created irons that have never felt better. Paradigm was precisely constructed with the first ever AI-designed forged 455 face cup and an all-new speed frame to enhance speed and feel, earning 15 out of 15 stars from the Golf Digest hot list. This is the new Paradigm in performance from Callaway. Protect your golfing equipment with insurance that fits to a tee. At the Insurance Emporium, you can choose the plan to suit you on and off the course. Get up to 30% discounts, including a special 5% discount when you use the promo code BUNK. For more details and to get started on your quote, visit us at theinsuranceemporium.co.uk or give us a call on 03300 The promo code cannot be used in conjunction with any other promo code. Offer ends 31st of December 2023. See website FAQs for details. Welcome back, ladies, gents, boys, girls, cats, dogs, guinea pigs, as discussed last week. Bryce, what other animals, domestic pets might listen to the Bunker podcast or might be in the vicinity when the podcast is on? Can you think of any? Probably a parrot. A parrot? If people have parrots. Do you think there's a parrot sitting out there right now that's... Sitting listening got to like us. your accent. Yeah. <laughs> White belts are shite. Yeah. Who's a pretty uh, yeah. boy? No I me. Don't, I don't talk like that. I've always thought I don't really see the point of having a parrot as a pet. Yeah. Strange. A, but you can't touch it, you can't do anything, you can't cuddle it, and it just shits everywhere. And apparently parrots stink. Oh I yeah. Yeah. Unless realize. you're a pirate, why have you got a parrot? <laughs> just a weird pirate. You don't have pirates have. anymore either. Well, not in the Blackbeard sense. <laughs> You've obviously not watched Captain Phillips. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, as I mentioned before the break, delighted that we have the 2006 Ryder Cup winning captain, Ian Woosnam, joining us on the pod. I caught up with him a little bit earlier on. Fascinating, fun, and just downright brilliant as he always is. Here is Ian Woosnam. Ian Woosnam, welcome to the Bunker Podcast. Thanks, Michael. Looking forward to it. Yeah, great to have you here. Let's kick things off, if you don't mind, first and foremost, with yeah. a little bit of a chat about Apes Hill in Barbados. The, the guys there have kindly put us in touch. 
because you have links, obviously, to Apes Hill, but I didn't realise this. You also spend a huge chunk of the year out there actually in Barbados. You're living it the right way. That's how you do it. Well, I like I like an island because I live on Jersey, and uh, 25 years ago, I bought, uh, well, it's more than that, 28 years ago, something like that. Now, uh, I bought a house in Barbados, yeah, and uh, yeah, I've been going back into there, as I say, for the, the last 40 years to Barbados, but lived there. I try to go out there in the winter for three or four months. Uh, you know, it's a great place for my back because uh, I got ankylosis spondylitis and it's a great place to to live in the winter. Yeah, you're doing it right. I, I wish I could escape Glasgow and go to Barbados for, for the winter, but alas, not not going to happen anytime soon for me. What's the what's the life like out there? Give me, give me a sense of what it's like because I've never been. Obviously, uh, it has its rainy seasons, and it has its, you know, at the, at the moment, it's just coming into rainy season somewhere around October, November. And then, obviously, the, the times I go out there around uh, Christmas time, January, February, March, and then I usually go out to the Masters from there. You know, the wind gets up, it's much drier, everything dries out, and it's just a great time, great temperature, you know, anything from, doesn't really change that much, five, six degrees, something like from, 23 degrees to 31 degrees. It's just magnificent climate. The people are great in Barbados. And, and you know, with the, now with uh, Apesil uh, being re- redesigned and, and up and running, and it's a, it's a great place to, for me to play golf. Not half. Tell me a bit about Apesil because a couple of our guys are actually going out there in a few weeks' time. Unfortunately, I, I drew the short straw, so I'll be staying in Scotland whilst they're enjoying everything that Apesil has to offer. But... Give me a sense of what they're going to experience when they get there. Well, I think I'm going to be there at the same time they get there. To tell oh, you the what? Truth. My goodness. I am, re- I am recovering from a, well, trying to recover from a tennis elbow I had to pull out last week. So I'm going to be there. And uh, hopefully I can show them the ropes around there a little bit. They're going to experience one of the best views in the world. So you can see the Caribbean Sea one side and you can see the Atlantic Sea on the other side. And it's, uh, a magnificent uh, view up there. You're up in the hills and the wind blows and, you know, the course is being redesigned and it's very playable and they're going to have a fantastic time. You know, and then you're talking about, you know, you've got the clubhouse has just been opened again and the halfway house is terrific and they've also got a fantastic par, par three golf course with a, a 19th hole as well, which you, which has been modelled on the 17th hole at, at, at uh TPC, Sawgrass, so there's going to be a, a lot of fun spent on that betting and gambling, I would have, I would have guessed. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm insanely jealous. Next time, next time I will be there for, for certain. <laughs> Obviously, you know, it's, it's funny because Ryder Cup's coming up and it's really not all that long ago that the prospect for you of being out in Barbados, enjoying the good life in the month of September would probably have been completely impossible. I'm thinking about the time, obviously, when you, when you captained the team in 2006. Let's look yeah. at this year's match first of all, though, if that's all right, and we'll look back at some of your memories of then in, in a few minutes. But this year, Luke Donald, he's got a, it's going to have quite a, a new looking team, I think, the way things are shaping up. But it's funny, my, my feeling at the start of the year, I guess maybe I just bought into a little bit of the panic that some people had about so many new faces and so many untested, unproven youngsters. Actually, as the team starts to take shape, the closer it gets, I'm really excited about Europe's prospects next month. Where are you at, Ian? How do you think the team's looking? 
Well, yeah, I you know I don't watch a lot of golf on the TV now, but uh, I have well, the, the golf I have watched. You know, there's you know a lot of young players coming up, and they're strong players. And you you know these guys are used to playing with the, with all the big players. So they're not scared, and I have no problem with the younger players coming in and, and giving them a chance. I, I love it. You know, you've got to blood them sometimes. So it's good as good as time as as ever now in the Ryder Cup. Yeah, I absolutely agree. What do you think of Luke as a captain? Is he someone that, in his younger days, when when you were observing him playing and so on, did you think that he was a captain in the making even back then? Well, you think of Luke. Yeah, I don't really know him that too well, but I obviously know he's a Ryder Cup captain. He's a very quiet lad. He seems to take everything in uh, and and very calm and influence. And I think that's going to be fantastic as for a Ryder Cup captain. If you think someone like you know, he's all like Bernard Langer was really very calm, doesn't get overexcited and keeps on an even keel and that's very important when you're being a captain and everything. The Americans haven't won on European soil since 1993. For context, I was nine years old. So (laughs) (laughs) that's how I think of it now. I was nine living at home with my mum and dad and my brothers and sisters in the Orkney Islands. And now I'm a married father of one living in Glasgow and having worked in golf for 20 years. So it it does feel, and it is an awful long time. Why haven't they been able to do it? Are we just too good at home or do they not travel well or is there something else? Well, I think uh, obviously... And we could set up the courses that we want to do and to suit our sort of style of golf. But I think that's changing now. And the American team is very much uh, changing as well. The different guys who now, uh, they look at the way we, we manage our teams and they seem to be, you know, they play in pods when you sort of have a, almost like an, old, an ex-Ryder Cup player or someone who's going to be a Ryder Cup looking after them pods will give them the experience and, and they become very friendly, and that's when friendship in the Ryder Cup is very important. And, and and I think they're getting that much more together now. We've got maybe with our European players are traveling all over the world, different places. Are they as close as what they used to have? Now, are we going backwards, or are we are we going to stay where we are? So it's it's a big job for Luke to see how he's going to partner up all these players and whatsoever, really. Yeah, and he's got six picks as well, which is. I think about and saying unprecedented in the the era of captains having some picks. I mean, is is that a good thing that he has so much choice at his disposal? How would you have felt had you had you had six picks to make? Oh, it was difficult enough. I've had two picks, but <laughs> <laughs> and then then that didn't go down too well. But then well, it turned yeah. out all right. Let, let's put it this way: uh, I think at this time, you know, we'll, we'll get into that later is that I think at this time he's got to have six picks at the moment because uh, there's a bit of a confusion going on, as we all know. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting to, to see how them picks are. Uh, obviously, I was just seeing that Elizabeth's uh, come on board as a vice captain. There's a lot of experience there. He'll, and he's very emotional. And I think uh, he's not trying to say what he what what needs to be saying, Jose. So mm-hmm. it's good to have him on board to give him a bit of support as well. Yeah, that's that's for sure. We're obviously coming off the back of that pretty sore beating in Wisconsin a couple of years ago. A couple of things. One, d- did you watch much of that match in, in 2021, the, the 19-9 defeat? And if so, what are your observations on what went wrong for us that week? Did we just run into an American team that was totally inspired, that was the, the perfect storm for them? 
or had we made some mistakes in the the way we approached that? Do you think? Um, it's difficult to say. It, only just watching it, not as I did, I watched every match pretty well. Is you know, I think a very, 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 very strong American team. Don't take that away from them. Uh, but I do feel that I do believe, and I hear that a lot goes on now when you pick a team is for statistics. Mm-hmm. And that's how they're picking the team, and I just disagree with that. I don't like it. I, you, you know, when you're a captain, you go with your gut feeling. And, and you know, if you're going to allow on statistics, who's going to play with each other? I just don't, I, you know, how, how the statistics know how you feel and how he feels about each other? That mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't seem to work. And only on observation, when I've seen it, when I, when I was in America, when I was in America, I just didn't feel like it, it didn't look like there was enough of guys around each player to give him more support. It just seemed to be standing out in the distance a bit too much. Mm-hmm. You know, that was just my obligation. Maybe I don't know that word. Uh, maybe that's what, you know, that's all I've seen on the TV. You know, you've got to have a bit more, look like it needed a bit more, uh, uh, let's say the vice captain's been in there more. Yeah, a bit more of a, a close arm around them at all times and just being a bit more, a bit more yeah. present. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. What I'm trying to say, really, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no getting away from the fact that we will have a different team this year because of, you hinted at it, the the, the changes in the division and all that sort of stuff going on in the game just now. Yeah. I guess some would argue, though, that this isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, as you say, you've got to blood the youngsters at some point. My own feeling is that maybe we've waited a couple of matches too long to get some guys in there and give them the experience. Uh, you know, we might have avoided having four or five different rookies this time. So this yeah. kind of feels like it might be a good change to me. Curious to get your take in. Absolutely. You know, you've got the likes of Westwood and, and Poulter. You know, they've been great ambassadors for the Ryder Cup. You know, time does move on. You know, great players and great results. Someone's got to take their, their place and... You know, as you say, it's a, it's a great time now for Luke Donald to fetch some young players in and, and, and start rebuilding. It's like anything. It's like football, isn't it? You've got to rebuild a team. You you want your youngsters in there and, and blood them and get them, get them up to scratch and get used to that pressure for the years to come. Mm-hmm. Years to come, really. And uh, this is a great time, as you say. It's, it's been unfortunate what's what's been going on. You know, I think realistically, I find it very difficult to get my head around it you know, we want the best players in Europe to be playing. It doesn't matter where you play. And uh, that's how I see it. But uh, I don't make the rules. Obviously, I think that the hope is that peace is going to arrive and it'll all settle down. I, I'm confused, though, because I don't know if that then brings the likes of Sergio Westwood and Poulter back into the conversation to be a captain down the line. I mean, one, is that something that you think would be good for Europe to have those guys who've given so much to the match that opportunity? Can they, given everything that's gone on? You've been a captain, you know what it's like to have relationships with players, considering a lot of the stuff that's been said and done. Is is it possible for bygones to be bygones? I think it certainly can be, you know. I, I, uh, I, I, well, obviously some guys haven't gone to play on the Lib Tour because maybe they weren't offered any money but and weren't in a position to, to be paid millions to go. Mm. Let's say, you know, and then the guys who are being have been paid who, 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 who were offered and didn't go is because they must probably got so much money they're comfortable and, and, and like to doing what they're doing mm-hmm. you know uh, 
but uh, you know, I would have thought ninety-five percent of the people, if they were if they were offered millions and millions and millions, they would go. Yeah, exactly. It's very different when there's a check dangled in front of you. I would I would imagine. I've never had yeah. it, but yeah. Let's look, king. <laughs> let, let's look back to two thousand and six then, because an incredible week in so many ways. I, uh, a charged emotional week as well. So let's talk about Darren Clark and the circumstances of of his involvement, his frankly incredible performance. I I I can't begin to imagine how it must have been for Darren that week. I hope I never have to imagine what it was like for Darren that week. But you were as close to him as anybody throughout that that whole month spell, picking him for the team. I guess my, my first question is when everything happened with Heather. What what was what, what what changed for you, or what made your decision for you that you wanted to approach Darren and ask him if he wanted to play? What what was the the thought process there? Well, listen, uh, you know when we when we knew that the bad bad news was that at the time Darren was playing fantastic golf, and then he decided to walk away from golf for a while, and I rung him up a I don't know a few a month or so before the Ryder Cup, and I had to do the picks and. I asked him would he like to. I certainly wanted him to be on part of the team, and it was up, up to him. And uh, he took it all in. He said, "Can you give me a little bit of a time?" And a few days went by, and he rang me back and said, "I've, you know, I said, you know, said to me it'd be a great honour to have you play, and it'd be a great tribute to uh, Heather's uh, memory as well, playing in Ireland and being part of the team." And he accepted, and that's he accepted my invitation to be a bit Peter Peck and. And it went on from there, really. It was and, just, uh, it was remarkable. I, I still get goosebumps and I, mm. I feel quite emotional when I think about his walk to the, the first tee that, that, that first day. It's just, yeah, it's it's quite a, it was quite a moment. What was it like for, for you standing there and seeing it all happen and unfold? Incredible, you know, the crowd, I've never seen anything like it. And I think that's been the start of that, that time with Darren being on that tee is, is uh, where the Ryder Cup from the, from the first day has grown and grown and grown. Mm. The support, the emotion, you know, I, I have to stand down the, down the side because, you know, I, I was most probably bowling as well. <laughs> and uh, I've never, you know, it was very emotional and uh, I've never seen anybody, I put a tree down the right-hand side to stop the long hitters going over over it. Mm. Of course, Darren stands there and just blasts it straight over. <laughs> it nearly went in the water and the ditch on the side of the well, that was a waste of time. <laughs> uh, it was an incredible emotion. And it wasn't just our team. It was a crowd. It was American teams as well, team as well. They had so much emotion in it, uh, involved in it as well. So it was, a, it was, you know, a great week and a very emotional week. You obviously hoped that Darren would contribute maximum points when, when you picked him. But in terms of realistically, what did you expect from him? You know, as I said, the hope is that he contributes maximum points. What, what would have been good enough for you? Well, listen, first of all, like, uh, you know, I ended up picking Lee Westford to go in, but they were very close friends and still are very close friends. And mm. uh, it was the right man to have by his side for them few days. Uh, but we made it as a team decision. Uh, well, not as a, a management decision between myself and my, my uh, vice captains that we would only play Darren. Uh, once a day, mm-hmm. because we felt it was so emotional, and he might just get 
drained by the emotion. So I felt that was best that he just played once and give everybody a chance as well, but uh, that he'd be fit for the next day and be fit for for his singles as well. Yeah, it's very sensible. Obviously, we mm. went into that match having won eighteen and a half, nine and a half uh, in two thousand four under Bernard Langer, mm. and I guess that while it's great, brings its own pressure for you as a captain that you want to continue that success. Clearly you did in similarly emphatic fashion, but was there any pressure on you, did you feel, going into the week as the, as it got closer and closer to maintain Europe's success? Oh, yeah. I, I didn't really take too much of the one before, but, you know, I was only concentrating on what I was trying to do for for that week. I, you know, I would, I would have been happy to win by half a point. But mm. as it turned out, we won by that amount. You know, look, we had an incredible strong, strong uh, team. I can remember the first day when I put the teams out, when I announced it, the guys were still on, on the fairway, uh, down like on the sixth fairway or something like that. And Peter Baker, my vice captain, you know, came on the walkie-talkie and he says, the boys want to have a chat to you. Not happy because they're not playing. <laughs> <laughs> what? Really? Well, yeah, well... Yeah, well, not happy, not unhappy, but what I'm saying is that, uh, you know, I, I have to leave out two guys, uh, mm. four guys, really. I'm left number, I think, number seven in the world and number 11 out of something, Stenson and Luke Donald at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to sort of have, because the case was very wet and long, and I just wanted my longer hitters out. Okay, Stenson was a long hitter, but wasn't quite, it wasn't quite on his game. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go with Elizabeth and I wanted him to play with uh, Sergio, you know, and that's that Spanish flair together. And, you know, it's, uh, that's how I wanted. So I wandered off down to him and said, and they said, well, yeah, yeah, look, you're all definitely playing in the afternoon. Oh, and then they're all happy then, you know, I'm playing tomorrow. After. I'm playing in the afternoon. And then the next one, I get another question. Who are we playing with? I said, yeah, you're playing. You can wait and see. <laughs> Uh, it was it was all quite it was all good and it was you know it was a tremendous atmosphere with the lads in the in the team room you know yeah. you know it is look it, in the end of the day for me you know I I'd, if you do your work early and get it you know I had two years to work on it you know I had it all planned and sometimes you wonder it's going to be so difficult but as it turned out it worked out so easy for me in the end yeah, I know we had a stronger team we played better and whatever but. In the end, it just seemed it just seemed quite easy. <laughs> <laughs> what, well, as you look back now, like what kind of captain do you think you were? You know, it seemed from afar you were quite laid back, and like you say, you, you trusted your gut as opposed to this paralysis by analysis. But you tell me, yeah. what what kind of captain were you? Do you think? Well, uh, you know, I'm a very emotional player and an aggressive player, and I, you know, I was I was I was well convinced that um, my team was going to win. Uh, when I seen the pairings and everything, and um, the way the course was playing, uh, you know, it's just you just sit back and, and just let the guys play, and you know, and I was just wanted to be there for them. And as a good manager or a good good captain, you that's what you want to do. You know, I've I've, I've seen other captains do it, and, and how they go about it, and I just try to emulate that really, and uh, just give the best advice I possibly can at the right situation. How you put your team out? Who's going to be first? Who's going to be second? Who's going to be third? Who's going to be fourth? Yeah, I think one of the problems was with the American team. It seemed to be Tom Lehman and his vice captains. This, you know, they couldn't make a decision. You know, when we have to put the teams in, my team was in within ten minutes. 
you know, it was already planned, you know, who, who was going to play and who wasn't going to play. But they, they were having to, having to ask for extended time for their teams, you know what I mean? And that means, when you've got someone like that, that means there's a right confusion in their tent, in their camp, you know, and, you know, it's, it's, as you know, Tiger's a strong personality, Phil Mickelson's a strong person, there's just too many people trying to give advice and that can, that can mix things up as well. Yeah, yeah, there seemed to be a real amount of indecision on the American side, but that's to take nothing away from from you and your team, clearly, because you execute the game plan perfectly. So take me inside the celebrations, if you wouldn't mind, because we, we saw we saw you all sinking the, the Guinnesses on the terrace, but then we didn't see what happened after. So what did we miss? Well, you, basically, anyway, as you're on, the, on that balcony, it's very difficult to drink champagne and Guinness at the same time. It comes out of your nose. <laughs> I wasn't going to say, but fine. <laughs> I'll tell you what, fair play for trying. I've never tried champagne and Guinness at the same time. Similar results, yeah, really, I suspect. Really mixed in the same black glass. Anyway, now, you know, obviously we won. And then, we had a, yeah, as you can imagine, we had a, a well good party afterwards and the uh, I think we were all a little ropey the next morning. But, you know, again, great time. Went off to the American team, had a good drink with them and good sing-song and whatever, and then back to, back basically, what you you know, you, you want a party, but you're absolutely shattered up a week like that. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned there was a sing-song, so give me an example. What sort of songs and who was the best singer? <sighs> you know, I can't remember. It's all like, it all like a blurred, it's all like a, a blur, uh, you know. I, obviously, must be some, some celebrities come in as well, uh-huh. and had a little, had a, I, I sung a few songs as well. But I can't remember who it was because, you know, I was. Well, I, I had a really big chat with Darren at the end as well. You know, it's, uh, you know, it was very emotional for him. We sat on the step for about half an hour and chatted. And there's one thing I nearly. It was incredible. I was, you know, on the I guess where was it the 16th green where he won his match. Mm-hmm. It would have been. The absolute business. If he was actually the one who won the Ryder Cup on that green, we just missed it by about five minutes. Mm, it was so close. And the one is five minutes before, it, and that would have been incredible. But the emotions on that green was. Yeah, you, you ever watched it, bad? That just puts, you know, it was destiny. As I said to Darren, it was destiny. Mm-hmm. It was destiny that you were, you were, you to be, you were to be there, and to win your matches and to win the Ryder Cup in Ireland. And I think that was what it was all about. Absolutely right. I tell you, it's a sign of a good night as well if you can't remember too many details. So <laughs> it sounds like you celebrated properly, as you should. So just to wrap up then, give me a sense, what what, what does the Ryder Cup mean to you, Ian? I mean, it, it sounds like such an obvious loaded question, but I'm never going to play in it. Our listeners are probably never going to play in it unless uh, unless Monty's tuning in, which I know he does. But what what is it? Like, what does it mean to you guys? Because it's, it's, you've won, you've won a major championship. So, where does our Ryder Cup fit? Well, first of all, you want to win a major and win tournaments, and you get that done. But you're individual when you do that. You mm. are, you know, there's only one person you can let down, and it's yourself. Mm. But when you come to a Ryder Cup, it's you know you're there with twelve men, and you've got twelve men, your captain and vice captains, and you're a team. And being Europe. There's always been underdogs against Americans. And, you know, I've been an underdog all my life against big tall guys, you know. So the bigger they are, the harder they fall. So I looked at it that way. And there's no doubt about it that we just wanted to take the Americans down. 
we wanted to show them that we are from Europe, from our little tour, that we can be as good and beat you guys. We are here. And they learned we were there. And uh, that being part of that is, you know, it's the second biggest thing from winning a major tournament. And then to, to be a captain is just another big honour, really. It's, uh, you know, you, you play in your matches and you watch other captains doing this. They're right, I want to do that one day. And, you know, uh, and that's what I wanted to do. It's, uh, I just hope it carries on in that vein, really. Yeah, which brings me to my final question. I hate to do this, but you must have known it was coming. Prediction time. Will we get, we, Europe, will we get the Ryder Cup back at Marco Simone? Uh, as you say, it's, it's a big task for the boys. And it's going to be a big experience. Uh, difficult. I'd like to see it go down the wire. Let's put it that way. Uh, they've got some players that are not playing so well at the moment. And it'd be interesting. And if it's still another couple of months away yet. Uh, I do hope and I'm going to sit on the friends, <laughs> and I think it's going to go down the wire. Not don't know which way. Yeah, you know what? I I, I kind of don't disagree with that. I think it's going to be very very close. I think that obviously we'll be underdogs as we always are on paper, but the Ryder Cup's not played on paper, Ian, as you know only too well. No. So here's I, hoping. I think I think uh, what Luke might have to do is to bit what we have to do in the olden days a little bit. You you are you're going to wear out his his top players. That's the only thing about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you're going to rely on Rory and Ram and those guys, aren't yeah. isn't he? Yeah, yeah, they're playing well, you know, but it, it's, you've got to get them guys uh, playing together, you know what I mean? And get them, you've got to get them partnerships better. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I, as I said earlier, I'm not sure about the statistic. Go with his gut. Mm-hmm. Put people together. I would, how you know? I would do. That's what if I was giving him advice. That's what I would. And hope Elizabeth does that as well. Yeah, trust your instincts. Absolutely yeah. right. Excellent. Oh, I think it's going to be no matter what. It's going to be another compelling watch. It always is. The Ryder Cup very special. It's unique in golf, isn't it? So, fingers yeah. crossed for the right outcome. But for now, Ian Wisdom, what an absolute pleasure to have had you on the Bunker Podcast. Thank you so much for your time. No problem. I hope the. The listeners just enjoyed it and a bit of an insight into the Ryder Cup. Uh, I we, I'm going to go out there and see what's going on anyway. I'm going up for the last three days. So, oh, excellent. Be- Hopefully see you there. Enjoy it. I know nothing about Rome, by the way. So if, uh, if you see someone wandering around the Coliseum trying to find a golf course, that's probably me. So just point me in the right direction. <laughs> hey, listen, my wife dragged me around there and you know, it was a magnificent experience going around Rome and going to the Vatican. So if you get time, go there. Excellent. I'll try and make sure that I do. Thank you so much for your time. Cheers, Bob. Oh, what a man. I absolutely love Woozy Bryce. There's just something about him that I, I hate to use the expression bulldog, but when I think of his career and the way he's gone about his business, He's fought and he's scrapped and he's taken on everyone that's come across him and he has largely beaten them all. Yeah. What a man. Yeah, what a golfer. Unbelievable ball striker. Uh, go back and do yourself a favour and go back and watch some of those videos of him late 80s, early 90s and just don't just, don't, just, don't just watch but listen. The sound that makes Phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. What a player. Did uh, you ever see him up close in his pump? In his pump? No. Right. No. My mum was uh, a big fan of Toys of Sport because she's the exact same height as Ian Wisdom. Is she? Yeah. She's all there you go. 
there's a factoid for you. Yeah, yeah, love it. But thank you to to Woozy for his time, and thank you to the guys, obviously at Apes Hill in Barbados as well. You're going to be seeing and hearing a lot more of Apes Hill from Bunkered over the next couple of months. Sadly, we won't be doing a Bunkered podcast from there, but maybe next year, Bryce, pull some strings. Uh, possibly. <laughs> I mean, as you know, I love the heat. It really, me and the heat and the sun get you're on well, you're well very suited well. To it. You're well suited to it. <laughs> I don't know if they make Factor 1200. <laughs> you're so hoping they do. Anyway, look, fast running out of time on this week's episode, so let's go to Podder of Merit and just get this shit over and done with. I'm not in a good place. Last week, the AIG Women's Open. Actually, no, that's not fair. I should really give you your moment. The Senior Open... Harrington, second, lost in the playoff. It looked like you were getting off to the perfect start in season, what is this, six or seven. Congratulations on a very Thank good you. pick. Thank Bryce. you, Michael. Yeah, well done. Thank you. I, 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 <laughs> I think, think Kevin Bridges there. Well done, Bryce. Well done, well done. Bryce. Good. Done well. Good choice. Good choice, Bryce. Why does he talk like that? Absolutely no idea. Anyhow, congratulations, you got off to a good start, you won the point, which meant it was your honour for the AIG Women's Open, and in your absence, Alex stepped up to the plate with a pick of Leona Maguire. Leona, he was backing what he thought was going to be Ireland's first female major champion. Leona tied for 30th at Walton Heath. I went for Lydia Coe. Reason being, she's so hot and cold, and it was just a, a bit of a a punt and a hope. If she shows up and she's in good form, she might well win it. She's if she shows up a, and she plays yeah, poorly, she'll miss the cut. Yeah, she's had a bit of a funny time of late. Guess what she did? Yeah. Missed the cut. So another point. I mean, I don't know if you want to split this half point for you and Alex, but no, we'll give you the full point, Bryce. No, I'll be taking it, thanks. Bryce to Michael Nell. Sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, whatever. Let's let's not let's not dwell on that, shall we? Let's instead go to this week. It's the BMW, the second of the FedEx Cup playoff events. And Bryce, it is your honour. I'm going to go with someone who is sitting on the outside of the Ryder Cup points. And I'm not suggesting that he's not going to get a pick, but I think it makes the captain's job a lot easier to give him a pick if he has a good week, which is Colin Morikawa. Interesting. Morikawa's a funny because Xander Shoffley is seventh mm-hmm. on the rankings at the moment. He's getting picked. He's, he's a, getting he's, picked. He's Patrick Cantley's teammate. Yeah. Jordan Spieth is getting picked 100%. because he's Jordan Spieth. Cameron Young's an interesting one. I would feel harsh for him if he didn't get a pick because I think he's played some good golf and he's ninth on the standings. You imagine being ninth on the standings for the Ryder Cup and not getting a pick? Mm. That's kind of harsh. There's Morikawa. So, Morikawa will probably be wondering, he'll probably look at Cameron Young and think, if Cameron Young does well in the next two weeks and I and I flunk, making the captain's decision a lot easier. Now, I'm still suggesting that Morikawa will get a pick, but I think deep down he'll want to start playing some good golf. I think he has to start He wants to make up. it an open and closed case yes. that he gets a pick, doesn't he? So, I'm, I'm going to pick him. I, okay. I, do, I do think... Um, it's a pretty good event, obviously. Yeah. But I'm going to go with Mr. Morikawa. I'm so glad you've done that. I'm going with someone who's looking for a BMW three-peat, a FedEx Cup playoff specialist, a guy who always brings it at this time of year, presumably because it takes him a while in the season to get going because everything else 
in his game moves at a snail's pace. That is uh-huh. my hero, Patrick Cantley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He comes alive at this time of year and he's done well in this event, clearly before lost in the playoff to Lucas Glover just last weekend, further emphasising the fact that the FedEx Cup is Patrick Cantley's season and I need the point. So yeah, it's it's Patrick, Patrick Cantley Patrick Cantley's me. season, eh? <laughs> Sell that on Netflix. It's like autumn. The shittest one. <laughs> the shittest. The shittest actually, that's, season. That's not really true, is it? I, I actually, this is going to be really controversial. If I was ranking the seasons from one to four, it would be winter first, autumn second, spring third, summer by a mile the fourth. Summer for me is the USPGA of I the don't like summer. Because it's just crap. Everyone's, everyone seems to like be just really loud and obnoxious and wearing clothes that they shouldn't be wearing. Just put on some layers, bundle up warm and face the elements like a hero, which is what I do in winter. In winter? I'm not even sure you own a jacket. Own three. Really? Yeah. yeah. I've got a winter jacket. I've got do you wear jacket. in the summertime when you go out? Do you wear shorts? Sometimes. Yeah, I bet you've got a horrendous collection of shorts. Mm, I've some yes. shorts. <laughs> 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 the problem is, I, I, I try to avoid wearing shorts if I can because I've got two out of bound stakes where my, yeah, my I don't legs have, should be. I don't, so. great, I don't have great legs. I don't have great legs. That's why I go to the gym. Squats, Michael. Right. Okay. Taking that under advisement, I'm sure anyone listening to the podcast 15 months ago would have been familiar with Bryce's gym phase. It comes and goes, much like no, the season. No, it's always there. Is it really? It's always there. Uh-huh. It's just what's, what's your favourite season? I, I have to say, I'm with you. I do like winter. It's good, isn't it? I'm a winter fan. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I good do choice, like... Bryce. Good choice. <laughs> good choice when it's cold, Michael. <laughs> uh, I do like the winter. This has got to be the worst chat ever. No, but not at all. Let's stick with it. That's good. Autumn blows. Don't like that. What? Yeah. Oh, I know the colours in that. Shut up. Unless you're in New York. Or Boston. Boston. Yeah. Winter fan, but um, yeah, summer. I like, I like the heat. What a weirdo. I've actually just realised why you were off for two weeks and left Glasgow. Was it because of the UCI World Cycling Championships taking place in the city at the same time? You clearly wanted no part of that, knowing how much just of a fan of cycling you are. in my area as well. It was horrific. Not a fan? No. no. Okay. Let's not go there. So, honesty box, I think we've been fairly honest. You know what I saw? You know what? I went to Bamber Castle on the way home, right? In the Bamber Castle. Is that the... The Boris Johnson guy's castle? Or no, something. it's near there. That's, but is it Bern, Bar- Barnard, Barnard Castle? castle. We yeah. drove past the signpost for Barnard Castle. I was laughing my head off. We had uh, Bamber Castle, and for those who know, there's a big bit of green outside the front of uh, Bamber Castle, and there was people playing cricket on it. Oh, you must have been thrilled. Honestly, I ran on and kicked the stumps off and threw their ball in the sea. <laughs> Losers! <laughs> they were actually playing cricket. Yeah, playing cricket. Wild. And I look at people playing cricket and there's a guy standing like 50 yards away with nothing to do. Yeah, just picking his nails. Just standing there. If it comes over here, I'll catch it. If it doesn't, I'll, see just, an hour keep, and a half. I'll just keep standing over here. <laughs> I don't see the point. Completely anyway, and utterly agree. Pointless. So, alienating cyclists, cricketers, Phil Mickelson, Lucas Glover. And people who like summer. You we're, we're doing well this episode, uh, uh, aren't we? As long as that's a we. <laughs> Honesty box. <laughs> like, we need to be more honest. Bryce, the major season is over. The AIG Women's Open concluded it. 
is a very simple question. What was the best moment of the 2023 major season, men's and women's combined? Do you know what? This is uh, big moments. I actually think, it sounds terrible, I think the there's something about the start of the Masters that just gets things going. It was the first major this year as well, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, I think so. Oh yeah, the Chevron moved. So when I'm saying, Lily, have you bookended it? She didn't really. Yeah. All right, well, that's fine. That's so, one less complaint to receive. I, uh, yeah, there's just something about the Masters kicking off that I love. I like the, uh, the what do you call it, the opening ceremonial stuff. The starters. I think that's great. I love it. But I wouldn't say this year's majors were anything hugely exciting. Let's be honest. I think some of the things that Ricky did were great. That was probably the most exciting of all. Mm -hmm. And I think probably the less said about the 151st Open, the better. With the greatest of respect, once again, the apology podcast for Brian Harmon kicks in. But I'm sorry, it was dull. Because he played so well. Yeah, it, Simple was, as that. it wasn't a great tournament. PGA, really shouting and screaming about the PGA. Kepka. Mm -hmm. Chevron. Had, had its moments. Lily of you winning it there was impressive, but I missed <laughs> I missed the old Poppy's Pond stuff. Yeah. Like I, the things I, that you associate with. Yeah, and I think some, and of the, the, some of the ladies' events, they weren't great either. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a huge amount of talking points, I don't think. Some of the big star names didn't didn't turn up. You know, I, I don't think when you look back at this season, it was like wow moments one for the purists Bryce yeah. one for the purists so one, for the, one for the traditionalists so I do think when I think back the most exciting thing the most excited I was was probably sitting waiting for the Masters to get going because really? that's to me that's the golf season starting in a big sense wow. however I do as I've said before I do like those January events on DP World Tour when they start because that's like season's getting going yeah. and then sometimes it's maybe like you do feel at the end of the year like south africa stuff it's that life's getting going and yeah but yeah i don't I, I i couldn't wax lyrical but something that happened during a major that was hugely exciting they can get me talking honestly i can Sounds depressing but i can and i think it maybe demonstrates your point about just how lack of a vintage of a season it kind of was in the in a major sense for me the the single biggest highlight that springs to mind for this year was Michael Block's hole in one playing with Rory. Yeah. That was off your seat. Holy shit. That's actually happened in the context of his entire week as well. To do that on the final day with Rory. Even the the up and down at the last was good, but he he slam dunked a hole in one yeah, for it, God's it, sake. It was just a bit <laughs> mad. It was it was, wasn't it? But it was a wild scene. I know that, you know, the Michael Block 15 minutes maybe expired when we had him on the podcast uh, maybe a month or so ago, was it? Two months ago. It feels like people got bored of him very quickly, and I understand that. But forgetting everything that happened in the weeks that followed, that moment right then, that was just absolutely I think that, I awesome. think that moment showcased everything that's good about golf. Like, I can literally can come out of nowhere mm -hmm. and compete for the one of the hardest events in golf, if not the hardest. Mm -hmm. Golf is mad. And that's the great thing about the US Open, that you can qualify for it. It's the great thing about the Open. You know, look at Michael Stewart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. One of those things, what Michael Stewart's story at the Open was brilliant. He's come from nowhere, effectively nowhere. And he did really, really well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'd, I'd, Michael Block possibly, but 
there's something in the back of my head that says that's done and dusted now. Oh, and yeah. I think, we're, we're all past I think that obviously he's in the field for the PGA next year when he shows up. It's going to start again. And I think you will see a lot of. I think the the sentiment from people watching will be, oh, this again. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily fair. It's just a product of his overexposure, which, yes, we contributed to, but of I still think did. that his chat with us and some of the stuff that he said and did was really interesting. See, see at the heart of it, I think he seems like a good guy, yeah. but he's got a big team around him now and there's lots mm. of people organising stuff and some he's not necessarily in control of that. That's why we can't have nice things, Bryce. Yeah, but he's done rather well, hasn't he? He's pocketed a bit of cash. He's probably making more money than he's ever made in his life. And enjoyed himself doing it. And enjoyed himself doing it. Would I do that? Absolutely. Would I be able to slam dunk the hole in one in front of Rory? I'd be lucky if I made contact with the ball. (laughs) (laughs) Can you slam dunk a thing? (laughs) (laughs) Eh... The speed of the ball, because the slam dunk has to happen from a height. The angle has to be correct. So the speed of my power thin would probably not work for a hole-in-one. I could probably hole it out on another hole, not the one I was playing. (laughs) Is it still a slam dunk if it hits like a wall path and bounces up and drops in? No, probably not. No, No, I dare say it's not. Of course, there was one other thing that happened in the major season this year that was really good, but we've spoken about that at length. Like, oh, come on. The Monday after the Masters. Come on, Bryce. Yeah, but you're not playing in the tournament, Michael. Yeah, it's still the Masters. It's still the Masters. It's not the Masters. You weren't <laughs> playing in the Masters. <laughs> playing to the same pins? He's like, like Cantwell saying he's playing in a Champions League game. You're not. <laughs> You've not seen my eyelashes recently either, have you? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's niche. On that note, we'll oh, leave it there. Bryce, thank you bell. very much for your time. As always, nice to see you back. What have you got planned over the, the next couple of weeks? Have you A lot of work, because you and Alex on holiday. So, yeah. yeah, that's the price I pay for going away for a couple of weeks. Exactly. Sounds like you'll want to leave. Exactly. So, with all going to plan, we'll be back this time next week, assuming I survived Budapest. It's the first time I realise it's the first time I'm going to a country where I know not one word of the this language. Isn't, and this isn't a stag do, is it? Oh, no, 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 no. It's yeah. worse. It's, it's what happens to stag do's when you get old. It's, my, it's old. my friend's 40th. Yeah. So. yeah, you'll be going to like cafes and um, maybe a nice museum restaurants. and nice restaurants. Would, a museum? Yeah, a nice steak. You know, a nice medium rare steak with a Bernays sauce. <laughs> there is talk of going to a football match on Saturday. MTK Budapest are playing at home in their 5,000-seater stadium and apparently their fans are crazy. Uh, when you go to that part of the world, aren't all the fans crazy? I think so, yeah. Has he ever gone to, like, somebody's gone to that like, game in Poland and said, yeah, the fans were really nice and friendly. No, they were trying to rip that your atmosphere. throat out. That's just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the way it is. So I would love to see you go there and then watch you get arrested. That would be amazing. Arrested for... Just violent conduct and just being drunk and disorderly <laughs> at a football match and in the away end. That you should go and go to the away end. Right, okay. Just to cause a scene. Okay, so if there's no Bunker Annoying. podcast next week, then you know why I've taken Bryce's advice. Yeah, fantastic. So, yes, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, thank you for your time, Bryce. Thank you to Ian Wisdom for his time. Thank you to the team at Apes Hill and to Callaway, obviously, for their continued support. But no more of a thank you than to you, the listener. That's what we reserve the biggest one for because without you, it's just Bryce and I talking crap to each other when we could be doing some work. So thank you to you. We'll be back sometime, hopefully. Wish me luck. Until then, bye-bye for now.